if you will follow with me on the bulletin, Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for all of you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Pray with me if you would. So Lord, thank you that we have this place to gather. Lord, thank you for the freedom to do the things that we do, to worship you, to to learn from your word that we have Bibles in our hands. And from that, God, we can learn, learn to know you, grow closer to you. I pray now that as uh, Brian Kelly teaches that you would draw us closer to you through the words that you speak through him. Um, And just pray for your blessing over the continuation of our service here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. I want to uh, invite you to uh, join us as we study the book of Philippians over the next... uh, two months or so. I passed out about 20 of these, and we've got a hundred more coming next Sunday. This is a pamphlet that is the book of Philippians and also has room for you to take notes. So um, about 20 or 25 of you have them, and and the rest uh, will be coming next week. So the purpose of this is that you can invest your time, your efforts in studying the book of Philippians. We are studying the book of Philippians in our small groups also. So we are learning about this letter that Paul writes. So I've got one left. I'm going to give it to Kat. (laughs) No, no autographs. All right. Um, This morning I want to talk to you about something... um, very simple, and hopefully I'm clear. I want to talk to you this morning about friendships, and I want to talk to you about gospel-centered friendships and how important that is. Um, Sometimes when we come to church, we can use all kinds of uh, church words, but at the very core, um, in, in our understanding of a church, it's a gathering of people who, who love Jesus and love each other. Like there, There's just the simple word of friendships from your first day of school when you are in kindergarten and you meet a friend, like your life is just better. You can, do, you can do it. You can do all kinds of things in life when you have a friend. And so friendship is really, really important. Let me give you, now if you, if you open up that little book that I just passed out, there's the Bible is on one side and then the next page is empty lines where you can write things down. So gospel friendships, here's what I mean by that. 
that we love people for who they are, not what they should be. That you have friends in your life and you love them for who they are, not for what you think they should be. Knowing that God is actively working in their lives. And if you think about that for a second, it's really, really important. It's really meaningful. And it, and it comes from how God loves you. And Paul starts this letter by saying that the people in this town, this community called Philippi, are people who are living in Christ. And I believe it's, it's an important reminder for all of us this morning for you to know that the love that God has for you is exactly that, that he loves you for who you are, not the kind of person you think you should be. That he knows your whole life story. He knows everything about you. He knows every skeleton in your closet, in my closet, every wrong turn, every misplaced love, every hurtful word that we've spoken. He knows everything about us. And he loves you as you are, not as the kind of person you think you should be. One of the things that happens in life that blocks that from touching us is we put our view of ourself onto Christ. And that prevents us from seeing God's love. Think about how you view yourself for a moment. We often struggle with guilt and shame, self-hatred. We don't like ourselves. We feel bad about the choices we make. And what happens is we put that on Jesus and we think that that's how he views us. And what I'm saying to you this morning is that he loves you for who you are right now. That even right now, if you're sitting there and you don't like yourself, he likes you and he loves you. And the book of Philippians is a letter that Paul writes to bring encouragement, to bring um, to bring joy to our lives. And Christian joy is unique in the sense that it is independent of life's circumstances. So Paul writes this really important letter. One of the things I like about this book is that there's no conflict. Paul is not writing this letter to say, hey, cool it, you guys are being knuckleheads, you're being mean to each other. He's writing this letter to say, you're my friends, and I love you, and I miss you. We're going to watch about a minute and a half video from the Bible app to give us an overview of the book of Philippians. So turn your attention to the TV and uh, we'll hope and believe it works this time. Paul's letter to the Philippians. The church in Philippi was the first Jesus community Paul started in Eastern Europe. And that story is told in Acts chapter 16. Philippi was a Roman colony in ancient Macedonia. It was full of retired soldiers, and it was known for its patriotic nationalism. And so there, Paul faced resistance when he was announcing Jesus as the true king of the world. And after Paul moved on from there, those who became followers of Jesus continued to suffer resistance and even persecution, but they remained a vibrant community faithful to the way of Jesus. Paul sent this letter from one of his many imprisonments, and for a very practical reason. The Philippians had sent one of their members, Epaphroditus, to take a financial gift to Paul to support him in prison. And Paul sent back this letter with Epaphroditus to say thank you and to do a whole lot more. 
The design of this letter doesn't develop one single idea from beginning to end like many of Paul's other letters. Rather, Paul has arranged a series of short, reflective essays or vignettes, and they all revolve around the center of gravity in this letter, which is a poem in chapter 2. It artistically retells the story of the Messiah's incarnation, his life, death, and resurrection, and exaltation. And then in each of these vignettes, Paul will take up key words or ideas from that poem to show how living as a Christian means seeing your own story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. So Paul opens the letter with a prayer of gratefulness, and he thanks God for the Philippians' generosity, for their faithfulness, and he expresses his confidence that the life-transforming work that God has begun in them will continue into greater and more beautiful expressions of faithfulness and love. And Paul then focused... All right, so that is an overview of uh, the book of Philippians, and this morning we will look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The book of Philippians... Um, is a letter that Paul writes while he is in Rome, but the church was started about 10 years ago. In Acts chapter 16, Paul tells the story of how the church starts, and it's kind of interesting. It's not uh, the normal way that you would think you'd start a church. They're traveling, and, and they go to an area that's known as an area of prayer, and they begin um, speaking to a group of women there, and there's one woman who's um, known as a successful businesswoman, and her heart is open and changed by the gospel. She immediately is a very hospitable woman and opens up her home. Next is a story of this woman who is a young girl who is um, controlled, owned by these men, and she is demon-possessed. And the men use her to um, predict the future, and she actually is um, uh, their source of income. She becomes a believer. And because of that, here's just a very interesting story about this, this church in Philippi. The men who controlled this woman grab Paul, send him before the leaders, and Paul is actually put in jail. He said that he's actually in stocks. He's like feet and hands are in like this really awkward position, and, and, uh, and he spends time in jail there for starting this church. Earlier this summer, uh, we took our family to... Um, to uh, South Carolina for a baseball tournament. And one of the things that we did is we toured around South Carolina a little bit. And it's a very fascinating history. And, and as you know, that there's a very dark and ugly side to it as well with the slavery. And we visited one area that was a, a former um, Revolutionary War battlefield. And they actually had um, like stocks, like you put your hand in and your necks. And of course, um, I'm like, okay, I have to try this. And um, so I, I was the kind of boy that, you know, if I, I had this really bad memory. I stuck my head in between bars, and because I really wanted to look through this thing, and, and then I couldn't get my head out, and so then we, my mom was threatening to call the fire department and all this stuff. So we put our, we put our hands in these stocks, and, and then Karen, you know, takes a picture. But I remember thinking, this is really, really miserable. Like, I lasted for about four seconds. And um, here's my point. Paul was a troublemaker a little bit sometimes. And, and part of the Christian life is disrupting things sometimes. That, that we always just migrate towards what's comfortable and easy and what we like. And when you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, he's a risk taker. He's, he's bold. And sometimes he's a little bit so much, there's so much boldness, we don't even necessarily really like him. 
But he starts this church, and it's the first church in Europe. And things begin to grow and change, and positive things happen. I came across a, um, a, a study this week, and it was really interesting. I believe it's according to the study, maybe it's the longest study on personal happiness that exists. These verses, chapters 1, verses 1 through 11, are about Paul's relationship with the people at Philippi. And they just, they just enjoy each other. They, they like each other. They're, they're friends. So that made me look around and do some reading this week. A Harvard study, Harvard University, began a study in 1938 with a group of college sophomores from Harvard. And then a few years later, they added a bunch of young boys from one of the poorest neighborhoods in Boston. <laughs> and the study is still going on today. It started in 1938, and it's still going on today. And the study was about what makes a beautiful life. What is it that makes people happy? And it was a fascinating study. There are still a handful of these men that are living. They are in their 90s. So they've gone through four directors from 1938 until now. It's still going on. And let me just give you some information um, from this. So the question was, what is it that makes a good life? 724 men asked about their personal life, work, family, marriage, all these questions. 60 of them are still living. And one of the things that was really interesting and kind of funny, the, the group of men that were from Boston, these boys that were just poor, they keep asking the psychiatrists and psychologists, why do you keep coming back and asking me questions every two years? My life is just pretty normal and boring and regular. And then they said that the men who went to Harvard never once asked that question. Like their lives are very, they thought of themselves as very exciting lives and all these fun things. So here's what they said. And they compared it to uh, a survey that was done about two years ago on millennials. And the question was, what is one of your primary goals in life for happiness? 80% said, this surprised me, I wouldn't have guessed this from our millennials, to make lots of money. 50% said, millennials, I want to be famous. If I have that, I'll have a meaningful life. Well. It conflicts with the Harvard University study that's been going on for 75 years. More than anything else, the number one thing, and you can probably guess, that is needed for a meaningful and happy life are friendships, are healthy relationships. More than anything else, and there's so much interesting things. Let me just tell you a couple things. Number one, they said this. If you are 50 years old right now, and you have healthy, meaningful friendships in your life, that is the number one leading indicator of a healthy life when you're 80. They said more than cholesterol levels, more than your genes, more than your diet, that having healthy friendships, meaningful relationships in your life are significant. They also said this, the opposite, that loneliness is one of the most destructive things you can have in your life. And they began doing parallel studies with the impact of alcohol and all these things like we know that are dangerous for us. They said this, high conflict marriages with no affection in the marriage are extremely unhealthy. 
Not the number of friends, they said, but it's the quality of friendships that you have in life. And it's worth it for us to think about this for a second. A 75-year-long study by, the, by Harvard University telling us exactly the same thing that the Bible tells us. That God made us for relationships. God made us to be connected to people. And first and foremost, he made us to be connected to Jesus Christ. When I was studying this week, one of the things that I did, and, and, um, and we have it underlined in your Bible, but I just bolded it in, in my little study thing this week. These are all the words that have to do with relationships and friendships in this one small section of Philippians. So let me show you um, some practical and hopefully useful things that we can learn from about gospel friendships. If our time on earth is measured by healthy friendships, healthy relationships, then it is, and it is indicated by studies and by God's word that that is the way that you have a meaningful and beautiful life. It is worth it for us as we begin this study of Philippians to, to learn and be willing to open our heart and, and to grow and think about this. So, number one, from this passage of Scripture that we learn about having healthy gospel-centered friendships is that gospel-centered friendships show affectionate gratitude. Gospel-centered friendships show affectionate gratitude. Paul writes in his letter, he says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul begins this letter by saying to them that, that my life is filled with joy and meaning because of my relationship with you, because of my friendship. And he uses words that show affection, that talk about joy and feeling connected. Verse 7 says this, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers of grace, partakers with me of grace. So Paul is saying some really important things here. And the word all is used regularly. He's saying that, that people are to not be ranked and to put into groups or clubs or values of different measures. He's saying that everyone in a church community is to be equally valued. That we are to be on the lookout for people who are hurting, who withdraw or pull themselves out of community because they are hurting. That we are to show affection and appreciation and value for our friendships. Let me just show you kind of, kind of where this started in this book, in, this, in the relationship. So if you turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4, here is a description and, and to better help you understand the friendship. So this is Philippians chapter 4. Verse 15, Paul writes this, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, <clears throat> that's where Philippi is, <clears throat> no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So there is this friendship with Paul and this community of believers. Verse 16, Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help 
for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So Paul is in Rome under house arrest. We don't know exactly what's going on, but Paul is in need. He's in um, financial need, material need. And the people in Philippi say, we love you, Paul. We want to meet your needs, that we are aware. So this is, this is the affectionate friendship that they have. If you turn back to um, chapter 2, verse 25, in explaining this friendship, it says this, I have thought it necessary, this is Paul saying, that to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger, and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. You can just see the personalness of this letter that they had for each other. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. Not only him also, but on me, not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died doing the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. So Paul sends Epaphroditus back with this letter, and we, just, we see in this letter, in this writing, the descriptive words that show affection and gratitude. If we think about it for a moment, what, what are we grateful for? What do we feel thankfulness in our heart for or towards? Well, it's the things we love. It's the things we care about. And one of the things that we need to be reminded of is this, is that our loves can easily get misplaced that our hearts can be attracted to things that aren't always good and helpful. And we're reminded this morning that the most meaningful things are our relationships, the people in our lives. It's what makes life worth living. It makes life meaningful and joyful. So ask yourself, what are you thankful for? Do you show affectionate gratitude towards people in your life? Do we take people for granted? Are you willing to say and express your feelings to people? Can you show affection in your marriage? Can you show compassion towards your friendships? So number one, show affectionate gratitude. Number two, gospel friendships understand the process of growth. Understand the process of growth. Look at verse six, Paul writes this and says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I was at um, my son's flag football game. This was about a month ago. And, um, and there was this, all these little, kind of little whispers going on. And I didn't really understand what was happening. And then finally the word got out that we were playing uh, LeBron's son's football team. And um, so it was, you know, everyone was excited that LeBron was there. And, and, um, but he said something, and I'll, he, he, a little footnote from the sermon. He seems like a really nice dad. Like, you could tell he really loved his boy. <laughs> and here's what he said, though. And obviously his son was like the best athlete on the field. 
But he said something that, that was, and I'm, so I'm quoting LeBron here for a second. He said this, and it, it, fits, it fits right here. Don't, don't be discouraged about the process. And I thought, that, that's, that's the Christian life. And he said to his son, who was making all these great passes, and his teammates kept dropping them. And he said to his son, kind of loud, but very nice and firm, said, like, son, don't allow the process to discourage you. And I think we need to remember that about the Christian life. I'm in process. You are in process. None of us have achieved it. And don't allow that to discourage you. Don't allow that to break up friendships. Don't allow that to create discouragement in your marriage. Your husband, your spouse is in process. And don't allow that to discourage you. Don't allow that to ruin you. Don't allow that to have you withdraw from friendships. Because Paul says this, and you can be confident of this. this Paul uses language that we can understand. Be sure of this. Build your life upon this. That the Christian life is about what God is doing in your life. It is not about what you do for him first. The Christian life is primarily about God working in your life. And in response to your love for him and the grace he shows you, we follow him and we shape our lives around that. But Paul is saying this very sure. He's very confident about this community of believers. But there is a process can't give up on people. Persevere. Stay close. Can't give up. Don't allow the process to discourage you. Number three, gospel friendships sacrifice for one another. Verses 9 through 11. The main idea here is that Paul loves the people and he commits himself to prayer. So there are two main verbs in this passage in verses 3 through 11. One is gratitude. The second one is prayer. But here's how we can kind of more fully understand this, is that gospel friendships sacrifice for one another. Verse 9 says this, And it is my prayer that your love may, that your love may abound more and more. It's an interesting way that he puts this. So, he wants us to love each other, and then he says, abound. So that means like, so love, and then have it be abounding. So even more, more than just that. And then he adds even a little bit more extra on the abounding. More and more. What does that mean, like more specifically? And he says that it has to do with knowledge. That your love will remain shallow, if you don't ever get to know anybody. That it will just be surface level love. It'll be buddy love. It'll be just be casual love. It'll be just um, without understanding. And how often in our lives do we misjudge situations or people because we don't know? It is human nature, and this is so important to always remember, we form opinion, opinions about people with partial information and you're often wrong. You know half the story, and you, fir- you form very hard-hitting, negative, critical opinions about people. It's not healthy for anyone. 
Gospel friendships sacrifice for one another. How? By loving a, uh, an active and growing love, by growing in knowledge, by understanding, by taking time to get to know people, by listening to people, to understanding the challenges and the hardships that people have. There are very few assumptions that we can make in life that are, that are wise and good, but one of them that we can make is that, that people regularly have things they struggle with. And that people, in fact, one of the things in that study um, from Harvard University said this, that 20% of Americans feel deeply lonely regularly in their lives. So one in five feel lonely all the time. How would you know that? Well, you take time and get to know people. Paul continues then with all discernment. So we are to love one another, to, to keep growing. This is the, the sacrifice that we make for one another is connected to prayer. And it, the prayer is that our love would grow. And if we're honest, one of the hardest things we can do for each other is to pray. And we get preoccupied with so many things. And I encourage you, Think about friends you have in your life that you want to go, go to a meaningful level with and pray for them. Have some discipline, right? So sacrifice, that means something has to give. And I think sometimes we just think we can do it all, all the time. And if Harvard University says after a 75-year-long study that relationships are the most important thing. And God's Word says that relationships are how you are all created. Can we make a sacrifice for something that is so valuable? And the prayer request is this, that our love would grow, that our knowledge and our experience with people would grow. The second request is that we would be able to discern what is best. And he says, with all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That we can make good judgments. How, think about how necessary it is that we make wise judgments in life with our friendships. It's easy to be quick and misjudge, think we know, and Paul says that the prayer is this, that our love would grow and that we could be compassionate and make wise and thoughtful and discerning judgments about people. Why? So that our lives can be pure. Verse 11 says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. Gospel friendships understand the process of growth Gospel friendships make sacrifices for one another. Gospel friendships show affectionate gratitude towards one another. I'm going to close with a, uh, a quote from C.S. Lewis, who um, was an English professor in England a long time ago. And he did some really meaningful writing on friendships. And he wrote this. He said, when I have learned to love God, Better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, 
I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. He's talking about misplaced love. If we allow our loves to be misplaced, if we allow our love for people or things on the earth to take the place of God, he's saying that your love for that thing will then deteriorate and break away. He says this back to Lewis, when the first things are put first, the second things are not suppressed but increased. When your love for Christ is first, your love for people will not be suppressed but they will be increased. That is that is the how we do this, that our love for Christ will stir up within us a love for people. One of the traits, one of the evidences of a new life in Christ is you are aware that other people exist in the world besides yourself. We are naturally bent in towards self and a relationship with Jesus Christ says, I can look out and I can see people and I can love people. That God is calling me to something more meaningful than myself and that through Loving Christ, you can now love other people. My hope is that we would consider um, deeply and evaluate how are you doing in your relationships, your friendships. Critical, gossip, mean-spirited, hurtful, critical, judgmental? Or are you affectionate and gratitude in your heart? Are we allowing Jesus to shape our relationships? As we continue in worship, my hope, my prayer is that there will be a renewing that can happen in our lives and we can leave here transformed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would would partner with your word to change our lives, to to grow within us a love for you, to grow within us a love for other people. Father, I pray that you would work within us desire to have healthy friendships, to have healthy relationships, to be people filled with grace and truth, who speak truth out of a kind and compassionate heart, a loving heart, a gentle heart. Father, renew within us a love for you and a love for each other. We ask these things in your name. Amen.